Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive here and a proud member. Today's August 28th, and you're with a virtual City Club forum live from the studios of 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream. They're our public media partner, and we're very grateful for their partnership. Within the next week, nearly all colleges and universities in the United States will be back in session, online, in person, or some combination of the two. And striving to maintain some normalcy for students and also some revenue for the institution, all while preventing the spread of COVID-19, is proving to be a daunting task. Several universities faced COVID outbreaks as soon as classes resumed, raising concerns about students' commitment to following public health guidelines and universities' abilities to deliver, on, on a, safe, to deliver a safe on-campus experience. The Centers for Disease Control's recent contradictory statements on testing protocols, of course, only added to the confusion and the challenges. Today, we'll hear from Harlan Sands. He's president of Cleveland State University. He'll talk about the extensive planning process that went into preparing for the fall semester, which is starting in person at Cleveland State University, and how the pandemic and other issues are altering the entire landscape of higher education. Harlan Sands is the seventh president of Cleveland State University, a position he began on June 1st, 2018. Before coming to Cleveland State University, President Sands previously held leadership positions at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, the University of Louisville, and University of Alabama at Birmingham, among others. And prior to his career in higher ed, President Sands practiced law as an assistant public defender in Miami and served on active duty for more than a decade in the U.S. Navy. As in every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. Please text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And you can tweet them at the City Club. We'll work them into the program. President Harlan Sands, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. It's great to have you with us. Well, thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're pleased to have you, sir. And I want to ask you first, how are you doing? This is uh, this pandemic has been having, uh, you know, creating challenges for all of us. And... Um, so how are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing great, Dan, and thank, thanks, thanks again for asking that question. You know, I have a, a great family, two teenage boys, so I'm living the dream in the pandemic, just like many of our listeners are and many of our uh, staff and faculty at Cleveland State. So thankfully, uh, we are learning how to live with the virus, and if there's any silver lining in this from a family perspective, it's the ability to spend a little extra time with the people you love. True. Absolutely. President Sands, uh, Cleveland State University is opening in person. Um, your, uh, Cleveland State will be one of 20 or 25 percent of colleges across the country, a really small number uh, in the grand scheme of things. Um, what is the plan and how are you able to do it safely? So, Dan, uh, we pride ourselves at Cleveland State at being different. And we started with a very data-driven approach to determining what, if any, part of our campus we could repopulate in a way that's safe and gives our, our faculty, our staff, and our students confidence that we can do this and protect them. And we spent a lot of time looking at the data, what our campus looks like, 
how we could possibly spread folks out on a on a 85 acre campus with over 60 plus buildings and we came up with what we are confident is a very solid plan that's based on science and data so with that uh, spreading folks out having a limited campus footprint at any one time uh, we started actually looking at the actual square footage of space that we wanted to build around each person that was going to stay with us and the recommended uh, uh, guidelines are around 38 uh, feet, 38 square feet around somebody and we we went way past that and built a plan around about 50 square feet of space between each person who joins us and so far we're in day number four actually day number five uh, and and it seems to be working uh, and uh, I, I'm happy to go through the what we're calling the seven layers of protection that we put in to protect everyone. Please do. Okay. Well, first, it starts with minimizing the campus footprint, and that is the database plan. So at any one time on campus, we know who's going to be, how many people are going to be in each area. Uh, I was talking to some leaders in the city recently about the complexity of having a, a, an integrated college campus with you know, 10 different colleges and schools, and I compared it to running five or six live sporting events every day, all day to try to manage that flow, inflow and outflow. So it starts with the footprint and we know what that is. And, and we, we're confident we have a footprint that can be managed safely. Second is the daily assessment that everyone takes before they come to campus. And it's a self-assessment. We monitor it. It's one of the ways we're monitoring how we're doing. And if there's anyone that doesn't feel good or doesn't bring a mask, we, we flag that. And that's all done through an app. The third, and maybe this is the most important that I've stressed with our community, is it all depends on all of us. And as much as we follow the protocols, the masking, the physical distancing, the hand washing, the personal hygiene, as long as we do that, I think it makes a lot of our plans uh, work. The fourth is environmental. And we have invested literally millions in making sure our buildings are safe, We've doubled the staff we have cleaning. We've hired uh, social ambassadors, most of them students, to enforce good behaviors, and they wear student ambassador shirts. Uh, we have literally put systems in our air handling uh, uh, machinery in most of our buildings that are enhancing the air quality. Um, and, th and that's really, really important. It's important to a lot of our staff and faculty. And then five, six, and seven, testing tracing and quarantine. And we are testing only symptomatic individuals. Uh, and, and we are depending on the community to self-assess when they don't feel good or they think they need a test. So that's kind of our plan and so far so good. Testing, tracing, and quarantine. According to uh, the New York Times, there's one case of COVID-19 at Cleveland State University. Is that true? Uh, we have the latest numbers here, and I, I made sure I, I pulled them for you because I, I knew you would ask me that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, actually, that, that is true. Uh, we have tested about 60 students so far, mm -hmm. and we have had a couple of positive cases. I think we might have an additional positive case. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have uh, a number that's under 10 that are quarantined, mostly at home. We have nine students right now that are quarantined in our residence hall. So based on the fact that we have had close to four or 5,000 students coming and going this week, uh, that's a number that we think we can manage if we can 
make sure that the, the direct contacts are not spreading that, that virus across campus. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Cleveland State University President Harlan Sands about how they are, how the university is adjusting in the midst of this pandemic and exactly what it takes to repopulate a campus um, when you still have uh, real live COVID-19 being you know, transmitted all around our community. You can join us with a question at 330-541-5794. We'll bring your questions in in the second half of the program. Or you can tweet your question at the City Club. The number again to text your question, 330-541-5794. President Sands, contact tracing is a difficult thing because it relies on uh, people's willingness to share information about their friends and then their friends' willingness to share information with you and, and then perhaps alter their behavior, perhaps self-quarantine. And we've seen resistance to that in many pockets in American life today. What are you finding at Cleveland State with your community? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. And we have stressed for the last few months that, that this will only work if we participate as active citizens as part of a bigger community. You have to appeal to students, uh, sense of caring about the larger community. It's the only way we'll do this. Uh, I've read the reports of universities cracking down on students that are misbehaving and not following protocols. Uh, We're hoping to take a little bit of a different approach at Cleveland State. So far, it's worked well. We, We really want to use positive reinforcement that this will only work. Students will only be able to remain on campus if we do this safely. I think it's really hard for us to kind of blame 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds for being 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds. The most powerful influence we are finding, and we hope it it lasts, again, I I, I by no means want to declare any kind of success because this is going to be a a challenge for the next few months, but what we're finding is there's no better messenger than fellow students to say, hey, look, your mask isn't on right, you're not keeping your physical distance, Uh, we don't want you gathering in, in, in any kind of groups. Uh, It's a hardship. It's not the typical college experience, Dan. We all know that. Uh, But we've seen good compliance so far. We have reminders everywhere. People, signage, uh, ambassadors, our faculty. Let me me talk a minute about what our faculty did. Uh, Our faculty senate passed a resolution to put a statement in our syllabi so that when students showed up on the first day of class, it was clear what the expectations were in that classroom and the consequences if students chose not to follow them. We were really, really concerned that we would have a lot of non-compliance, at least in terms of masking, maybe not so much with the distancing because we we can block off certain seats. Um, But the fact that our faculty uh, and our pandemic response team have been able to work together to come up with those types of reinforcing guidelines for students, uh, I think it says a lot about who we are. Well, the faculty, Really, I mean, that's in the context of a a county where all the public schools, the K-12 public schools, many of them are are only doing remote learning. And as 75 percent of colleges and universities are doing remote learning, um, and often that's driven by faculty concerns about their own health. And I've got to imagine those there were some tough conversations with your faculty and um, and and a lot of. I mean, there's there's a risk, right? Faculty are putting their their lives at risk in some manner. I'd like to say there were tough conversations. Uh, We had conversations, but we said from the beginning, this is a coalition of the willing. 
And for faculty that felt they were more at risk, that have health conditions that put them more at risk, we were extremely accommodating. We don't want to have anyone that feels obligated in any way to be in the on-campus environment. Remember, we still have a large mix of classes that are taught remotely. And we've been able to, to do that so far. And, and, and the, I think the key is the protections that we put in place for them. Now, the other commitment that I've made to everyone on campus, if it isn't working or we see any signs, and we have our tracking mechanisms in place, we see any signs that, and I think the key measurement for us is not the number of positive tests because the community has an existing level of positive tests. And we're always going to be a reflection of them. It's whether our uh, number of tests is higher or significantly higher or less or even than the surrounding community. That's to us the more important measurement. We've got some things in place to track that. That's great. That was my next question. You know, exactly what are you looking at? What would be the, the trigger that, yeah. would, that would cause you to, to shift to remote learning, entirely remote learning? Um, what are you doing with the residence halls? I'm sure that, that's, uh, that there's a whole different scenario happening there now. Yeah, so in some ways, we're, we're different than a lot of other universities. We don't have as many on-campus uh, residences yet. I'll say yet. We're evolving. But we have about 700 students in our residence hall. So we're at about, in our residence hall, so we're at about 60% capacity. Every student has their own bedroom. We thought that was important. You know, at a close quarters, you can, you could engage in, a, in some common space, but we wanted to make sure the sleeping space where you're spending you know, a considerable amount of time was separate. The second piece is we've got uh, a focused approach on the residence hall. So we're watching those daily uh, um, uh, health assessments to make sure there's, there's not trends that, that, that we spot that, that are not the ones we want. The other thing we're launching very, very shortly here, we have a partnership with Case Western on an app that has an algorithm. Instead of uh, doing what the public health officials call prevalence testing, which is random sampling across our campus, which probably doesn't have as much value for us as much as other campuses in a small community because we have so many folks that come and go. You really don't know where they, where they picked it up. It's very, very hard. Instead of that, we're working with Case on, a, on an app which uses an algorithm that was developed by a company that kind of looks at various patterns uh, and determines where the folks most likely uh, uh, who have the highest likelihood of picking up the virus. We're going to use that to track, track our, our kind of infection rates. One of the things, the uh, relative advantages that Cleveland State University has is actually a lack of Greek life. Um, there are no fraternities uh, to flout the rules, uh, which yeah. has been a problem for a number of other public universities and private universities and colleges around the country. Um, where are the places, though, on campus where you're most concerned? Is it the student center? Is it the library? Yeah. So uh, let me make one small clarification. We do have fraternities. They oh. just don't have houses on our campus, okay? <laughs> uh, which is, I think, in some ways, you're, you're right. It gives us a little bit less of a worry, but not zero worry, because groups that gather, we, we have over 300 student groups. So when you ask about where we, where we think uh, we want to be careful and thoughtful is anytime you can have students gather. And the places that we're learning about across the country and across the state that are having challenges are when students gather in bars, 
at night, late at night, or in private parties, or in smaller groups that become larger groups. Those are the big risk areas. And on that front, uh, Knockwood, we're doing well. We have, like you said, we have a, a little bit of an advantage in, in that we don't have 15,000 students congregating at once. I think the other factor is we have to create some life for these students here. We, we, we have to expect that, we can't expect to put them in a residence hall and say, go to class and come back to your room and that's it. So we have some limited uh, dining fac uh, facilities with, with you, know, you know, folks spread out and places to eat which, are, which have more air circulating. So we've thought about other ways to engage students so that we don't have those what we call hot spots, which can lead to bad outcomes. We are talking today with Harlan Sands. He's our guest at our Your City Club Friday Forum. I'm Dan Moltra. Harlan Sands, of course, is the president of Cleveland State University, the eighth president of Cleveland State University. It sounds as if the the, the plan for pandemic repopula mid-pandemic repopulation of the campus is underway, and we really appreciate you explaining how, how Cleveland State University is doing it um, because you are in the minority, just one of you know among the 20, 25 percent of campuses around the country that are doing that. Let, let me add just one thing, Dan. Sure. We couldn't do this if we didn't have two things. One is the leadership of the former Surgeon General of the Navy, Boris Faison, who we were able to recruit to Cleveland State. Uh, he actually started March one, and we shut the campus down on March sixth. So uh, you couldn't have asked, you know. Un it's good timing. Unfortunately, unfortunately for, for Dr. Faison, you couldn't have asked for uh, a better timing, uh, but he's done, he's been through five or six pandemics as, as the chief medical officer of the Navy. Um, so that's been one. Second is a great team around him. So we have a pandemic response team that literally meets uh, every day or every other day. We, I think we've got it down to every other day. Uh, but this is a collective team effort. Can't be done alone. It certainly can't be done just because I say make it happen. Uh, this, is, this is not how universities run, and we've done a, a, I'm very, very proud of the work we've done. One of the big, the, the direction I was going is that one of the big challenges that universities are facing right now is this kind of larger looming question around long-term revenues. And um, the pandemic is, you know, for a lot of students, it, you know, if I can't be on campus, maybe I should just not go, maybe not go right now, maybe go in the future. Those are some of the concerns. And that's been happening in a time of uh, real economic stresses for universities of all sizes. Um, and some, there has been some reporting that uh, suggests that some universities won't make it out of the pandemic. Some colleges, smaller colleges may not make it out of the pandemic. What are you seeing from your chair from your you know from yeah. the the your view as a president of a university in conversation with presidents of universities around the country um, what are you seeing and where does Cleveland State fit in so obviously we all of us that are at universities that are dealing with this pandemic are asking those questions at least for ourselves and the good news for Cleveland State is we're on solid financial footing. We're not immune to the financial stresses that have hit everybody, and we've had to take some steps uh, to deal with that. Uh, we are very much focused, though, on how we at Cleveland State are gonna emerge post-virus, and we will emerge. It's not an if, it's really a when. 
And thanks to uh, years of strong financial planning, we have a good foundation. And we've taken some steps in the last couple of years to strengthen that foundation. So that's a good thing. Um, I have never been part of an organization that in a crisis has not reinvested in our core business and grown from this experience uh, out of this into a stronger institution. I've really never been part of an organization that has cut their way to prosperity. So what I'm really, really proud of, and this is what we're focused on and what we're calling our CSU 2.0 initiative. Uh, yes, we have to look at doing things more efficiently, but we also have an entire group focused on growth and innovation. I'll give you one example we've already started. Um, we did not put everything on hold when the virus hit in terms of our investment in our faculty. We went out and recruited 33 new faculty in the middle of a pandemic, uh, including 19 new ten tenured faculty from top universities across the country, because we thought it was important uh, to ourselves to invest in ourselves uh, and be consistent with those strategic priorities that, that are gonna get Cleveland State to where the region needs us, to where we wanna be, uh, and to the point where we can meet the emerging uh, labor needs of the future. So uh, we have five task groups that have been set up under CSU 2.0, uh, academics, administration, uh, diversity, inclusion, and social justice, um, growth and innovation, and athletics. And those groups are hard at work and they've been hard at work all summer. They're, they're charged with providing creative, innovative recommendations on both how we operate now and where potential is in the future. So we've gotten great engagement. We have over 30, 30 plus faculty engaged in the process itself, at least the initial uh, uh, task groups. And then they're reaching out into other members of the community. So it really is a fully engaged process. President Harlan Sands, the, this morning, the Akron Beacon Journal reported uh, news of the, of a task force that has been formed to uh, formalize or, or investigate or see determine the feasibility of a formal partnership between the law schools at the University of Akron and Cleveland State University. Um, that would seem like it uh, fits pretty neatly in the CSU 2.0 plan that you were just talking about. Can you unpack it a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Dan. Uh, this is an exciting time for us at higher education as a whole. We have a chance now with what we've learned and how the world is changing in, in the last uh, six months, uh, really incredible seismic changes. We have a chance to look at ourselves and look at ways to partner with other institutions across our institution and look for ways that really can transform higher education. And that's one example that I'm very, very excited about. Uh, I look forward to hearing uh, what our two respective law school deans, uh, both at Akron and uh, CSU Cleveland Marshall, come up with, because uh, this, is, this is a chance uh, to set us apart. If, if this goes down a certain road, and um, um, I'm hoping you know, we get some great ideas out of it, we, we could have something that's truly unique in legal education, which if you talk and look to what's happening at least since March in, in the legal profession just here in Northeast Ohio, you know, many of the law firms that I've talked to are making significant changes in how they're structured, how they deliver services to clients. Um, that's just one example of the kind of opportunities that are out there. And in higher ed, you know, we're producing the future talent 
You know, I think it's our responsibility to be able to pivot to where the future skill sets are going to be. So I'm very excited about that opportunity. President Sands, uh, about a week ago, um, the uh, police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, shot and injured, permanently injured, uh, Jacob Blake, uh, sparking a number of uh, demonstrations. And these follow the, the demonstrations that followed the murder of George Floyd. And, um, and social justice, you mentioned, is one of the five pillars of your CSU 2.0 task, uh, plan. And I'd like to ask you to just talk a little bit about how you are centering social justice in the, you know, in creating an experience for students and what you're doing specifically to make Cleveland State University a more socially just place. Yeah. So, Dan, this one's personal to me because of the things that I've had the opportunity to do in my, in my career, my professional and personal life. Um, I don't think you can pick two more different professions than being a, a military officer and wearing a uniform for a period of time, and then being an, a public defender representing indigent clients. So I, I think I have, I know I have a, a perspective on, on how um, you know, serious this, this issue is and, and, and the issues that have been raised. I was very deliberate and thoughtful before we made a statement at Cleveland State about what we were going to do because I think words matter and actions matter more. So what we did in June was we issued a statement and it was a statement of actions. And we, we, we certainly have started down that road. And we, we said we were gonna take five steps and we've already been, are moving down this road and I'll share with you what they are. First and foremost, we gotta take a hard look at ourselves. Uh, we have a police force, so we commissioned a, a task group to look at that police force and our procedures to make sure that we are doing things in ways that uh, support uh, the safety and well-being of our community and our students, so that's underway. The second thing, uh, we have always had a President's Diversity Council and I took some steps to strengthen that council, thanks to the leadership of Dr. Ronnie Dunn and others. And actually, the CSU 2.0 Task Force is co-chaired by Peggy Zone Fisher, who leads the Diversity Center here in Cleveland, and Dr. Dunn. Uh, and I gave them specific charges that they engage our community and make recommendations for action steps. It's time to get past what we know and get to what we need to do. I think all of us see, seem to know where we've done uh, better than others in terms of advancing our underrepresented minority staff and faculty. We, we got a lot of work to do there. And I might just say uh, of, the, uh, of the 18 faculty that we hired, over 30% were candidates, uh, diverse candidates. So I'm very proud of that. Uh, step three, we have something called the Viking Creed here at Cleveland State, which is a statement of integrity and civility and it's really good. And we're gonna recommit to that across campus. We've started that process. Step four was to educate, because we're a teaching institution. So under the leadership of uh, Lee Fisher and Roland Anglin, the Dean of our College of Urban Studies, we, we already have a course in place on 
racial and social justice. It's already started. We have over 70 students that enrolled for the course. So we're having those, those dialogues and discourses that are important on a college campus. And then step five, we recommitted to training more underrepresented minority doctors. You know, we've had a partnership for a long time with Neomed. Uh, we're strengthening our uh, pathway for students that want to go to medical school. We have an incredible shortage of underrepresented minorities uh, in urban communities. Uh, we're calling it our Pathway to Practice program, and you're going to be hearing more about it in the coming months and years, but this is a commitment to really build that pipeline. 80% of the medical schools, 80% uh, of the African-American doctors produced in the U.S. are from two medical schools, two. Neither one is public. That's an indictment, in my opinion, of, of all of us and how we've not moved that needle over the past 20 years. So I'm committed to that. So those are our five steps, and, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to engaging more as those ideas come up from within on things that we need to do, need and should do. You're with the City Club Friday Forum. It's August 28th. I'm Dan Maltrip, and our speaker today is Harlan Sands. He's the eighth president of Cleveland State University. You can join us with a question by texting it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. Or you can tweet it at the City Club if you're on Twitter. And uh, here's a question from Twitter. How have the cuts in state funding to higher education specifically impacted services on campus? Uh, so, Dan, we, we, we have had to, to furlough some people, and it wasn't, it wasn't our desire to do that. Uh, one of the things we have to look at in the future is how we do business, and you know, we can't depend on the state to fund us. So you know, we get most of our funding either through tuition or from, from state dollars. It's about a two-to-one balance right now. Uh, two-thirds from tuition, one-third one from, from the state. Uh, so I, I made a commitment, and I continue to make this commitment, that we're going to invest in our core. And our core is, as a teaching and learning and research institution, is just that, teaching, learning, and research. So uh, all of our focus is, is on making sure we really protect, on, protect and, and invest our resources where they're most needed. It's really a difficult situation there. We seem to have lost your. Do we seem to have lost the phone? One second, one second, Harlan. We seem to have lost your audio uh, for the radio, and we're working. Did I on lose that. you for a second? You, we, you did lose us for a second, and now you're back. It's great. Um, so, Harlan, I, I do want to ask you. I mean, it's funny that to me, funny not oh, haha, but funny strange, um, that Cleveland State University would be worried about its state funding, and the president would say, we can't rely on state funding. Um, you have a commitment as a, as a public university to affordability and accessibility, and if not uh, subsidized by the public, by state Absolutely. taxpayers, how, how will you do that? Well, um, one of the ways to do it is to get the word out on how great our product is and how great our price value proposition is. Uh, our goal, and we have some aspirant peers across the country, and I'm very bullish on the urban uh, university experience, especially universities like ours that drive uh, growth in, in Cleveland. 
One of the ways is to, is to increase our capacity to teach and learn. And we do have some capacity, thankfully. Uh, my predecessors have done a nice job creating a, a very, very welcoming campus that, that is built for growth. So if we grow, and, and I think competitively with our price value proposition, the, the, the education you get here at Cleveland State for the investment you make stands up, hands down, across the board uh, uh, with almost all of the universities that we, uh, that students are considering. So when you think about uh, uh, where we are in the market, what you get, uh, we have to get the word out on how great an experience is at Cleveland State. And we're going to be working on that. The, the fact that we've made a uh, engaged learning promise that any student who comes to Cleveland State that wants a co-op experience with any of the great employers here in Cleveland gets one. The fact that we're going to build out that cradle-to-career approach for, for the students that join us. We're now a first-choice institution for many, many high schools in, in the five surrounding counties, and we're going to grow that and push it out. I spent the better part of my first year going to a lot of these high schools uh, in the region. I've been to Parma twice. I've been to Mayfield. I've been to six CMSD schools. Um, you know, years ago, Cleveland State was, was getting one or two students from, from a lot of these high schools, and now we're getting you know, 20, 25, 30, Parma, 30, 30 students, St. Edwards, 20 plus students, graduates that are coming to Cleveland State. So that's the future that we have to build on, and there's, there's a lot, a lot of, of opportunity. President Sands, as you know, with uh, City Club forums, uh, you, you'll get questions about anything that falls under your purview. Uh, this question comes from a listener about the future of the Wolstein Center. It was already an open question prior to the pandemic due to low sporting attendance and increased competition with Rocket Mortgage yeah. Fieldhouse. With high school events and commencements being canceled nationwide, the Jehovah's Witness Convention being virtual this year, and attendees being limited at collegiate sporting events, what do you say to Clevelanders who are concerned about the long-term sustainability of the Wolstein Center moving forward? So one of the things that we're going to be working on the next year, Dan, is an update to our campus master plan, which was last updated in 2014. And this is really the perfect time to do it and figure out what our current footprint is, where we need to go, and what opportunities there are to take a look at not just structures, but functionality of, of the kind of things that we are and the kind of things that we want to be and grow in the future. So uh, I don't have an a, a direct answer to that question right now, other than to say that we're going to look at all of our facilities, all of our classroom buildings, and you know, how we can join what I hope is the growth of downtown Cleveland, the surrounding areas. I know we're a big driver in that. We've got very willing partners across the city that, that want to see us grow and make best use of our assets. Um, we've always been good financial stewards and we'll continue to do that. So we look at all of our property in that sense. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to tackling that in context with our greater, our greater campus uh, master plan. Related to this is a, a question that came in earlier. Um, and, you know, Cleveland State University itself, the campus itself, and the campus district are the connectors, really, between downtown and midtown. Um, 
will you will CSU be working with the Ohio Department of Transportation to put a cap on the Interbelt Trench from Prospect to Cedar when ODOT rebuilds the freeway? This would create a lot of green space for CSU. ODOT did a similar thing in Columbus and created the Short North District or improved the Short North District. Is that on the table? I hope so. I, I think anything we do to, to uh, make our campus and the, and the surrounding, the adjacent areas to our campus attractive and and uh, green space certainly is something we, we think about, I think about. I, I think that's obviously something we're gonna take a hard look at in our, in our master plan because uh, the more our campus connects with uh, Midtown, the more it connects with the campus district and downtown, uh, the, better, the better it will be for all of our partners and, and for the folks that are here. What is, here's another question for you, what is CSU doing for student veterans since Ohio is the fifth or sixth largest state in terms of veteran population? Yeah. And well, you're a veteran yourself. So. I am. And I, I think about this a lot. And you know, we have a veteran center that's very, very active, very robust, and, and very focused. Um, I, I am absolutely committed to growing the number of veteran students we have. You know, we've got a great opportunity. And again, I, I'll stress the fact that if you're coming out of the military and you're looking for that transitional job, and I went through that, uh, being in a place that could connect you to employers and give you the skills that, uh, that are gonna give you a, a, a leg up and a strong career is, is, is really important, and we're really well positioned for that. President Sands, you, uh, Cleveland State has also started a kind of externship program uh, more, more formally in the, in the model, in the sort of co-op model of Northeastern University. Do you want to talk about that a little bit with, in relation to not just connecting veterans with job opportunities, but all students? Yeah. So I mentioned one of our CSU 2.0 task forces. One of them centered around academics. Uh, we've uh, We've engaged the former president of the universe of Northeastern University, Richard Freeland, who was president there for 10 years and was one of the prime drivers in, in their model where every student gets a co-op. He, he's been working hand in hand with our Provost Jingping Zhu to figure out how to build that, that model to scale. We're doing it in, in great, uh, uh, with great success in business and engineering we want every student that comes to Cleveland State to have an opportunity to plug right in to, a, to an employer. And we can do this, and we will do it. And, and that's something that's a big priority that's gonna come out of one of our CSU 2.0 uh, recommendations. When do you imagine that scaling up? What's your, what's your I mean, yeah. ideal timeline? Not, I w nothing that anybody could hold you to, but if you could, if you could wave a magic wand and make it if happen. If I could wave a magic wand, it would be yesterday. Sure. Uh, but as we, get the recommendations from the task forces which are due sometime in mid-November. I wanted to make sure that we, we didn't just shortchange the process because it is important that the process engages folks that have a lot to say and a lot to add to where we go. And those are folks that are part of our CSU family. That being said, you know we have a capital bill in, in front of the legislature right now that's kind of hit a snag. And one of those items in the capital bill was uh, an expansion of our science building, which was going to also include that engagement, that, that, that engagement center, that co-op engagement center, where our vision is to brand any company that wants a footprint on our campus. And this is the model that, that works across the country. So you drive down Euclid Avenue, 
you're going to see the names of all of our employers up there in lights, knowing that we're partners and connecting to us is connecting to them. And that's the model, that's the vision we have. President Sands, uh, another question for you. The Akron Beacon Journal recently reported that former Chancellor Eric Fingerhut had once proposed a University of Northeast Ohio, a merger of Cleveland State University, Kent State University, and the University of Akron. Per the pending CSU-UA Law School Task Force, could this concept be revisited, but this time with participating universities and branches all being equal peers versus the usual main campus with branches model? All sites interconnected with a lot of dark, unused fiber for remote learning and IT uses amongst facilities and other collaborative regionalistic measures. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I think it has to start with partnerships. And we, obviously you mentioned one, but it has to make, it has to make sense academically. It has to make sense for our students. Any kind of large concept like that, um, uh, I, I haven't had any discussions about that uh, since, uh, since I've been here. Um, it's certainly an idea that I, 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 I think I, I heard when I first got here that it had been floated in the past. Uh, but uh, look, we're, we're doing great things at Cleveland State. We are focused on providing and, and satis providing talent to, to Northeast Ohio we're focused on doing what we do best. Uh, I think opportunities that come out down the line, um, I, I never say never to anything, but it has to start with what's best for the citizens of Ohio, the state, uh, our region, and, and most importantly, our students. President Sands, uh, you made a promise to incoming freshmen for a two-for-one tuition promise. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and, and the impact yeah. that's had on enrollment? Yeah, I, I can. I, I'm very proud of the concept that we came up with and, and what you're talking about, Dan, is a two-for-one tuition promise, which, which means that all the freshmen that are joining us here this fall, if they, get, if they, see, if they have a successful fall, they're going to get the spring on us. And what that means is whatever their gap in funding is for tuition, if it's not covered by Pell or, or other funding sources, we're going to cover it. We thought it was important in a pandemic to let the community know that this is not the time to increase tuition or increase costs, especially for families that are kind of struggling, at least initially, with do I even send my, my, my kid to, to college this fall? And it's been very, very successful. Um, and you know, I, I, I think the part that I expected would happen did happen. Uh, our upperclassmen said, hey, that's a great program. Um, we're, we're doing a lot for upperclassmen too. We gave out six million, $5 million of, of mostly CARES Act money, but some of it from our private donors directly to our current students. We gave, we, we gave it out last semester, we're giving out more this semester, so we're trying to strike a balance in helping our students get through. That's our mission. Uh, we've invested in success coaches and not academic coaches, which we have, uh, but coaches that really are helping our students with the bumps of life that knock them off track. And we found no surprise that we unfortunately lose students for things that, you know, first generation students for things that you might not expect, uh, things that happen at home, things that happen where a bill doesn't get paid. So this is really our focus on getting folks through. So we're really, really proud of the, 
two-for-one promise. We're proud of all the money that we've allocated directly to students. Uh, we'll keep focus, focusing on more dollars to go towards those types of things to get students through. We're talking with Cleveland State University President Harlan Sands. If you have a question for him, you can text it to 330-541-5794, 330-541-5794 to text your question, or you can tweet it at the City Club. We'll work it into the City Club Friday Forum. Uh, President Sands, two questions related to your police force. One might wonder why CSU needs its own police force. Is CSU considering changing its focus to more appropriately address student and community needs? The second question, what are you going to do about crime around campus? Uh, well, those questions are related. They, they, indeed they maybe are. Maybe the second one kind of maybe sort of addresses the first. So uh, university policing is a little bit different than uh, typical policing. And I think the concept of, of creating a safe campus culture is important. Uh, but we certainly want to be open to any uh, upgrades or changes that we need to make to keep our, keep our campus safe and make our campus more safe. Uh, in, in reality, in the safety uh, uh, records that we keep, and there's a safety report every year among all the state universities, we score in the top two or three or four universities every year in terms of safety. And they measure, based on the crime reporting statistics, uh, they measure all kinds of different, all kinds of different crimes on campus, and that includes a lot of the rural campuses. So, you know, our safety record stands up to anyone's. Nonetheless, you know, we're always looking at more efficient ways to do things. Uh, we're always looking at partnerships. Uh, I, I am very, I have high level of confidence in how we're policing, but I also know that we, we must, we shall, and we will be open to doing things better. Another question for you from our audience. In the new world of alternative facts, quote unquote, where science and diversity of thought in higher ed are now being questioned, do you see this as an underlying threat to the long-term and long-time mission of higher education? Not sure I understand the question completely, Dan, but if we're talking about whether diversity of thought is a threat. Diversity of thought, I think that the, the world of alternative facts and that diversity of thought ah, okay. should be uh, that there should not be diversity of thought. I, I, uh, why, why don't you actually, why don't we uh, just reframe I, the question, what's the mission of higher education? How is okay, that changing? So, How is it responding to this, this moment? So I think I understand now. So I, I think that in the current environment that we're in, where facts is, is, is something that, that people debate, I don't think there's a more important time to reinvest in exploring this on college campuses. Where else are we going to do it? This is where we've always had open, public, serious, meaningful dialogue on how we critically look at issues, how we critically, critically look at ourselves, how we, how we relate to ourselves, how we communicate to ourselves. I think a lot of us that, that went through college and looked back on what was the most valuable thing about those years, yes, there were subjects we learned and there were skill sets that we learned, subject matter, but a lot of what we learned was you know, how to relate in those formative years to others that looked different than us, felt different than us, thought different than us. So I think this is an opportunity for the academy to really double down on, on discourse and have these conversations. That's why I mentioned 
uh, uh, the course that was developed, the interdisciplinary course I mentioned on social and racial justice. H how do we teach these uh, uh, topics? How do we engage faculty and staff around these really important issues? And then how do we engage our students? Do you think you'll be delivering content differently in the coming years? I mean, we've created, when, when the campus um, was depopulated in March, um, you know, everybody shifted to remote learning. We all yeah. got a crash course in platforms like the one we're using for our conversation today on, online at cityclub.org. And, um, and now, you know, your students, you know, in theory, right, if, the, if that Akron, if the Akron uh, CSU law school merger, theoretical merger were to take place, not, you didn't say the word merger, I inferred it, by the way, um, the, uh, if that were to take place, then a student could be, you know, they could be in Hudson taking classes both from Marshall and from the University of Akron School of Law from their couch. Um, it seems to have created, we've seen it, that it's created, it's, it's just lowered the, all the barriers to access in a lot of ways if students have access to digital technology. And so, I mean, there's a there's a huge a huge shift happening here. But do you imagine that your your virtual offerings, your online offerings, your digital offerings are going to be much more robust than they've been in the past? The answer is yes. But take that example you just gave. Mm -hmm. So, if I'm a new law student and I just now put put everything else aside, if 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 this environment changes and we're going to have some type of hybrid in the future, and that's not a given yet because there's a there's, we're learning a lot about the value of in-person in education and what works and what doesn't work as well remotely. But just take that example you gave. If I could be sitting in my home and I now can take uh, uh, twice as, I have twice as many course offerings because now I, I, can, I can choose a course that, that is taught on one campus and a course that's taught in another campus without the mechanics or the, or the silos of you know, where I pay or or how I do it, that's got to be good for the students, whatever that partnership looks like. So that's one thing. The second thing is we were very, very intentional when we went to remote. Unlike some of our, our colleagues, we didn't just flip a switch and direct our faculty, okay, next week you're teaching remotely. We, we took a step back and asked them, what do we need to do to make this work right? And uh, I'm very proud to say that the president of our faculty senate, the chief academic officer, and me all uh, worked together on a joint approach to making sure that technology, we, we did a crash course in, in supporting the faculty's way, what the faculty, how they wanted to do this transition. So we supported seven different technologies in the beginning. We waited an extra week before we started because we didn't want to just, just assume it's just going to be an email class. Um, okay, so that's that. So we've proven and our experience so far has been very, very positive in the sense of we proved we can pivot and respond and everybody stepped up to that challenge. Now, the challenge of whether this works for everyone and what this does to the future of universities like Cleveland State and whether we can use what we've learned in a way to enhance our ability to teach and learn that's still an open question. Uh, we have a lot of students that struggle remotely, I'll be honest. And, and I think the big challenge for all of us, and I, and I, and I think this goes to K through 12 too, and I, I really feel for some of my partners that are running big uh, K through 12 districts. Uh, we have a large 
percentage of our population that has no technology can't access the technology. So I worry about worldwide the gap in educating our young people. And I'll just give you one other stat. I, I think there was a report put out by UNICEF within the past couple of days. That's right. Which talked about somewhere close to 500 million youth that are uh, potentially going to have up to two years of a gap in their education. Mm -hmm. So think what that means for us. You know, we have students that come to us out of high school that we know need some help, and, and we know they can succeed. We know it. Um, now we've got another two-year gap potentially to look at. I mean, this is the big, what, what I described to some of our folks this week is the big elephant in the room, Get, getting our arms around that. How could we as an academic institution help on that front? Well, you're going to, I mean, you won't have a choice but to help, right? Because starting with the, you know, next year's incoming freshmen, you, you're going to have, and, you know, for the next 12 years, likely, you will have students who have, who, who have suffered from, through this. So that's why, that's why I focused on the word how, not yeah. if, right. it's how, how, we, how can we help? And we're having those conversations. We're having them with CMSD, which is mm -hmm. great. We have a great partnership. Mm -hmm. um, thanks to Eric Gordon and others. So I, I'm very much thinking about this and, and, and a lot of our folks here are thinking about it too. Very, very important. Another question for you from Twitter, is Cleveland State University part of any coordinated effort, including the Inter-University Council, to advocate for more public funding from the federal government? The state, of course, isn't off the hook yeah. either. Is CSU willing to advocate that Ohio seek new revenue to fund higher ed? The answer is yes, and, and we work very, very closely with the IUC, and we have been working with the IUC. Matter of fact, we're, we're very much engaged in what we hope would, will be coming out of this next round of, of federal funding if it, ever, if it ever happens. And there's a big chunk in there because the, the, our legislators, our, our, our leaders know that higher education is, is incredibly important. Um, so yeah, the answer is we're, we're very much focused on that. The federal government has a role to play. Uh, today's not the day for the debate on, on uh, whether we believe everything should be free. I have some thoughts on that. I, I think it's generally good for folks to have a stake in their education. Uh, uh, you know, not, not, an, not an overwhelming, overbearing, uh, uh, a collapsing of debt, but, but a stake in, in education. And, and, and that enables us to reinvest in, in students. But, you know, I, I, think, I think as a society, we really have to think about how important, you know, our, our schools and our universities are uh, in terms of educating our, our, future, our future citizens. Well, President Harlan Sands of Cleveland State University, we thank you very much for your leadership, for your time today, and for doing what you, you can to keep your students and the family and their families safe this semester and, and, and the following semester as well. We appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, hey Dan, thank you so much. It's been great to see you. Great to see you, too. I want to thank you also for joining us today, and thanks also to our member sponsors and donors and many others who support our mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. You can find out more about them and join them at cityclub.org slash thank you. On Friday, September 4th, that's a week from today, we will feature the next forum in our Reimagining Journalism series. It'll be a conversation with Karen Runlett. She's the director of journalism for the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. And John Thornton, a venture philanthropist, founder of both the Texas Tribune and the American Journalism Project. 
If you have ideas about topics and speakers we should feature while we all learn to shelter in place, please get in touch. You can find out how at cityclub.org. And in the meantime, I'm Dan Malthrop. Please stay strong. Please stay healthy. Please wash your hands, keep your distance, and wear a mask. And stay close in your hearts if you can't be close in person. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.